Bienvenidos a la Juices Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Baires y presidente de mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito San Dieguito, not with us today. Will the Thrill, not with us this morning, but he was with us last night in rare form, as always. Each and every single day we come on here and properly, yes, 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 Hunter Pants, or Hunter Pants as my kids like to call them, salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes! Woo! Remember this, folks, when we are juiceful, we are useful, and when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. It's as simple as that. Let's get right into our title sponsor, Bet Online. That's right, it's your number one online betting destination. Go to Bet Online, get all the latest odds, news, scores, and predictions. The AFC and NFC Championship game are this weekend. The NBA is firing in full swing. The NHL, the Edmonton Oilers, have won 14 consecutive games. Jeez. I reached out to Giuseppe Pepe Manuele and Johnny Bag of Donuts, uh, my two gambling buddies. And I'm like, guys, we got to be riding the Oilers. Or at this point, do we actually fade them? I don't know. But if you want to ride them, you want to fade them, go to Bet Online. Either way, place your action there. Type in the promo code BLEAV, capital B-L-E-A-V, to get 50% off your welcome bonus. Uh, and let's not forget about our proud partners at KT Tate. Hit the QR code in the upper right-hand corner to go ahead and get yourself a strip of goodness. KT Tape, get the Pro Oxygen, lifts the skin up, promotes blood flow to the area, decreases inflammation, and typically will alleviate pain. And lastly, as you guys can tell, I need it for my throat today. This is Verge, a combination, cannabis, lemon, Honey, it is delicious and much needed for my raspy ass voice. Mm. As for our guy, Jory over there, and he will take good care of you. Today's Daily Hustle Electronic email communication went out about 6 a.m. I woke up at 4. Just the little tickle in the throat and whatever else. But I didn't even think about it. When when I got up, and typically I like to get up around five. But I got up, ba 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 ba. So it wasn't even four. It had to be like three forty-five. Because by the time I looked at the clock, it was ready. I'd already hit the the start, the coffee pot, and everything else. I was ready to go down and hit the treadmill. And it was barely after four p.m. I'm like, oh holy shit. Well, nonetheless, up. Adam went downstairs. Fired out the daily hustle and then took care of a bunch of other business. Came up, had some breakfast with peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Got to see her off to school this morning. Mm. And then, uh, I don't know, prepared a little DH for you guys. And here we are. Okay, the daily hustle for today. Buenos dias. Today is a wooden Wednesday. Love wooden Wednesdays. January 25th, no. January 24th, 2024. Daily Hustle quote of the day. You become infected with success when you think your past is going to impact your future. Learn from the past. Don't live in the past. The infection of success can lead you to believe that what happened before is automatically going to happen again. If you let success diminish your preparation in the present, hold on. I love when I throw myself off. If you let success diminish your preparation in the present, 
for the future. You've been infected by success, John Wooden. Daily Hustle Translation. After achieving success, the number one reason for regression in any industry, relationship, or sports performance is complacency. We often believe because we closed 20 big-time deals last year, we surely will knock out another 20 this year because our relationship had been going well with our significant other. Why would things ever possibly change? If we were so lucky to experience a breakout season or performance, we all too often, for some godforsaken reason, begin to think that it's just the new norm. Look, we love positive thoughts and confidence here at The Daily Hustle. But positive thoughts and a confident attitude must be backed up with relentless work and an overall commitment to continue to do whatever it takes to get better the same way we have to consistently tend to and add water to a garden to guarantee its growth it's imperative we meticulously tend to all the different gardens in our lives success is great and we should all strive to be successful in whatever endeavor we pursue yet no matter what we have accomplished in the past it's imperative we maintain the proper mindset attention to detail and work ethic to stab off the ever lurking infection of success. So this undoubtedly has gotten every one of us. And what's amazing is that we very rarely fail to learn our lesson. It's, it's I, should, I should say that. We very rarely learn our lesson because as soon as we think we have something, as soon as we think we got it, we rest on our laurels, so to speak. We stop putting in the time, energy, effort that it took to get us there. And then it comes back and bites us in the ass every single fucking time. So I will say just from a coach's perspective and coaching the LTP teams, as soon as the boys start to believe the hype, start to believe the rankings, start to talk about select fast or this or that or all the other bullshit, as soon as they start, uh, you know, digging themselves, then we go play a good local team from anywhere and bam, get punched in the face. I noticed this early on. And so as all this was happening, I'm like, all right, fuck it. Like, there's got to be a way to approach this to prevent that from happening and one of the ways was that i don't care what the score is of the game you have to obsess over the details when we become so entrenched in what's going on in the moment and it could be something as little as taking a lead swinging at all strikes taking balls Positioning on defense. I will be yelling from the dugout, pre-step, pre-step, pre-pitch, pre-pitch. And it's just reminding the boys to be ready to go. When we constantly revisit all these things that we feel make us a great baseball team, then that allows the boys to be able to go out there in any and all situations, whether we're facing a bottom barrel team or a top level team. And essentially they don't have time to quote unquote, dig themselves. They're too focused on the task at hand. But when you go out, you win a tournament and you're like, well, Hey, that guarantees we're going to win the next. Uh, -uh. 
One of the things I was probably more proud of than anything else this past fall as we went all over the country and chasing the best competition was that I felt we stayed in it the entire time. I felt that we never gave a game away. There was one I could think of in the finals of Vegas that it just happens. We had a dude on the mound to start. Uh, you know, a, a, a couple blowing calls, a couple non-plays. Do whatever you could do. You fight to the end. But other than that, and even with that, we had to play four games on the final day. And the boys battled from start to finish. And I never felt that because... We won this tournament before they thought, oh, yeah, that's going to get us the next. We have to constantly go back to the process of what it takes for us to get there. So I think that's the biggest thing. Otherwise, you will. You will get infected by success. And that infection, it's real. And basically, it has the ability to bring you to your knees and end it. It does. You see it all the time with guys in the big leagues. Guys that have great years and next year they come back and they have shitty years. The one thing, you know, I can tell you, look, I had some up years, I had some down years. But the work ethic through all of it stayed very consistent. Now, are there excuses and reasons and other bullshit I can give you? Yeah. Uh, it's not even worth getting into because it's all on me and it's about being accountable. So, and talk about accountability. Here it is. The let them play a parenting and coaching guide to use sports. It's, it's not long. You got some testimonies here on the back. One of those being from John Seagull, the USA executive president MLB veteran, LTP coach, and dad, this should be required reading for every travel ball coach in America. The beauty of LTP philosophy is the trust, freedom, and respect the coach and parents are required to give the child. A simple yet transcendent guide for today's world. We will be on here if I can get my voice back. Most likely tomorrow. Doing the LTP reading, and then John's going to sit in, and we're going to have discussions at the end of each chapter about the let them play philosophy, about some of the stories that we share in the book that he certainly was involved in. So looking forward to doing that. The Top news stories. And by the way, go to ericburns.com, E-R-I-C-B-Y-R-N-E-S.com to pick up one of these. It's a limited copy. It's actually the first edition. There's a couple changes we are going to make, but it is available now until, uh, I think, beginning or second week of February is when you can start buying it on Amazon. But if you want to get it now, go to ericburns.com. We have, I think, in the range of like 700 and we've sold hundreds already. So we're getting near that number. I just had an extra box show up the other day. But it's probably, I don't know, the book I'm most proud of, not to say that that's the truth. It, It very easily could be the most impactful just because of I know what it's done for For me, for our LTP coaches, our LTP parents, and our LTP kids. So, anyhow, top news stories today. The podcast is a life optimization baseball podcast. That, of course, we delve into all sorts of other things. But we like to start with a life optimization story. And this one comes from Warm Fuzzies. A no-fail mood booster. And how do you get it? There's no denying that unconditional love from a four-legged friend makes 
us happier. We're all pretty much aligned on that. Almost 90% of dog and cat owners said their pets have a positive impact on their mental health. So what does it actually do for you? It boosts feel-good hormones. Rough day, numerous studies find that when you love on a furry creature, your levels of the stress hormone cortisol could go down and your levels of happy hormone oxytocin go up. They <clears throat> provide companionship. Your dog really can be like a BFF. Many of the benefits we get from people in our social support network, uh, having someone to talk to, focus our attention on, and exercise with, for example, we can also get them from our pets. Who needs a friend when you got a pet? Seriously. They don't ever talk back. Always excited to see you. Uh, the next one here. It says they encourage mindfulness. When Bones McClough demanded Pat, he's not worrying about the past or the future. He's living in the moment, and he can help you do the exact same thing. Interacting with animals often gets our mind off other things for at least a few minutes, which is a brief exercise in mindfulness. I don't know how you guys are with your pets, but I just walked downstairs, for example, right before I started the show, and Theodore, my three-year-old bulldog, is lying on the bed. And in the midst of being on the treadmill this morning and knocking out seven miles and then writing the Daily Hustle and then coming up here and then searching for some of these news stories, whatever, I, you know, conversations, brief conversations, more logistical, logistical stuff when it came to dealing with the family this morning. And there's Theodore just lying there. <sighs> sleeping and I just grabbed him just like this and gave him some kisses probably 60 seconds not long not much but enough all right the next one here they make us social have you ever been to a corgi meetup or traded cat sitting duties with a neighbor you know that pets can bring people together. You're significantly more likely to talk to people on the street when you're walking the dog. So this one is a no-brainer. If you're young and single, I mean, you don't have to be young and single. You'd be old and single. It doesn't matter. If you're single, the number one recruiting tool that you could get, it's not a fucking Ferrari. It's a dog and a cute one, a puppy. Go get yourself a puppy. Go borrow a puppy. Go take it for a walk. But here's the hot chick down the street that obviously is never going to look at you. And then here you are walking the dog. It's like, oh, puppy, 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 puppy. Can I pet the puppy? We used to uh, pull that one all the time. It was too easy. T, I think, was single. At the time, he was the guy that trained me throughout the course of my whole career. And we'd be in Arizona. We have the green belt. And this dude, man, he'd take Bruin, Bella, whoever, out for walks. Hours later, this guy would come home with like three, four different numbers. Savage. Okay. Uh, latest baseball news. The Hall of Fame was announced last night and it was adrian beltre on top of the list 95 percent. now he was tracking at about 99 percent. so it seems like from the thibodeau tracker to what actually happens you got all these people that basically fucking vote for nobody and leave a bunch of surefire hall of famers off the ballot that won't share their ballot and Makes total sense because they're jackasses. I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, how, how can you possibly 
leave Adrian Beltre off the list. All the credentials were there for 286, 339 uh, on base, 480 slugging in 2,759 games, more than any third other third baseman in the history except for Brooks Robinson, double sky point. 21-year career, 3,166 hits, 477 home runs for Beltre as he goes ahead and cruises on into the hall. He played for the Dodgers, the Mariners, the Red Sox, and obviously the Texas Rangers. What's so great about Beltre is just the style in which he played this free, fearless. Thank you, Sissy Small Fry. Thank you. Free and fearless. You just brought me a smoothie. Sounds like I just sucked down a pack of marble reds. Mm. Relief. But there's few who've ever done it where they literally looked like a kid on the field. And I like to think I played like a kid. But I wasn't good enough to do some of the shit that Beltre would do. The guy almost seemed like he was fucking around at times with whether it was, you know, former teammates or whoever it was. But one of the things I do remember is he had this thing about his head. So whenever he'd win a game or walk off, whatever, the guys would go after him. And he'd be like this. He wanted nobody touching his head. And then if you touched his head, he literally would run after you trying to kick your ass. So uh, the next guy on the list, Todd Helton. Mm. Says after missing election last year by just 11 votes, Helton will be just the second player to don a Colorado Rockies cap on his Hall of Fame plaque when he's introduced in July. Helton spent his entire 17-year career with the Rockies, manning first base with defensive ease and hitting unsuspecting baseballs into the stratosphere. He retired with 2,519 hits, 369 homers, 142 of which were hit outside of hitters' paradise donuts course field. Debuted in 97, been a second the rookie of the year in 98, and went on to win four silver sluggers, three gold gloves, and was named to five all-star games. And I can tell you from my short time with the Rockies, he very much enjoyed his red wine in the back of the plane. This dude, when I got there, invited me to come sit in the back with him. So I'm like, yeah, shit, man. Awesome. You know, but I, I didn't, I was trying to just feel my way around the clubhouse. And so I go in the back and he opens up a briefcase and he's got, I think it was like four glasses of wine, like glasses. And then this ridiculous bottle of red, I don't remember what it was, pulls it out and just, here we were, enjoying a glass of wine in the back of the Rockies plane. The Rockies, by the way, they had their own plane. It was sick. The A's did not, but we, forget the name of it. We used the same service basically as the Diamondbacks did. And the Rockies actually had their own plane. Now, the service that we had, keep wanting to call it like surfing. It wasn't. We flew out of the signature airports. But the planes were super cool. And it was just a, a awesome flying experience. The Rockies, I would say, was even a level up from that because it was their own plane. Now, uh, the... Worst of the worst of all the teams that I played for. By far and away, the Orioles. Now, this is when it comes to the travel. 
The Orioles flew fucking United or Delta or something. And I, I just, I remember, they, like, they weren't even great planes. And you had, we went through the regular terminal. That was the other big part of it. Let me see how fucking snobby I sound. When you're in the big leagues, though, and you get used to doing it one way, and the next thing you know, you're going through normal security of an airport. We also did, and I actually love this, though. When I was with the O's, we took the train up to New York. That pretty cool. And we had our own car. And I just kept having flashbacks of watching the movie The Babe and, you know, him and boys are in the back and they're partying. And then I think the babe's wife somehow comes in. It's like, babe, this is unacceptable. And then that was the beginning of the end of their relationship. So, okay. Todd Helton, congratulations. Well, Thrill and I talked about this last night. Probably the best pure hitter of this entire class here. Beltre was a beast. Figured out how to get it done. Good hitter. Obviously, by the numbers that he put up and everything else. Joe Maurer, the next on the list, who got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Amazing hitter. Had that one year... Went like 368, 28 homers, almost 100 driven. Like this really, really nice year. Todd Helton, year in and year out, was by far and away the best hitter of the group. Just you'd watch him, and it was really, really cool to see. And by the way, good morning. Buenos dias to John Davis, Collierville, Tennessee. RJ out there in Idaho. Good to see you guys firing away in the chat this morning. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, Caffeine TV, Fubo, or wherever, join us live anytime, typically between 8 and 10 a.m., Monday through Friday. Can interact, can even bring you on the screen. That is the beauty of No Filter. As soon as we get done with this, though, then we upload it to. All the different platforms and go from there. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you can leave a review if you're enjoying it and feeling generous. We'd appreciate the five stars. All right, Maurer is the second first ballot Hall of Famer elected on the cycle. Over his 15-year career with the Twins, he amassed 2,123 hits and a 55.2 baseball reference war. Retiring 306, 388, 439. He was an all-star six times, five silver sluggers, and three gold gloves. 2009 American League MVP. He's also the only catcher in MLB history to win three batting titles. A St. Paul, Minnesota native, Maurer was chosen by the Twins with the first overall pick in the 2001 draft. 18 years later, they retired his jersey at Target Field. Just a real local boy did good moment yesterday with him getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I don't think Joe Maurer fucking even needed it, right? This guy's been the poster child. There was a video that MLB Network did as a tribute to Maurer. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was John Paul Morris uh, Morrissey that wrote it. And then they had Justin Morneau narrated. And it was about Maurer and growing up in Minnesota and being not only this amazing baseball player, he struck out one time in his high school career. One fucking time. I, I'm almost positive it was high school career. It might have been his senior year. But one time, that was it. And they're showing video of Maurer yesterday from his high school. And he's like this, right? Watch my head. And this is for all the ball players out there. Yeah, specifically RJ, who's on here right now. He goes like this, boom, whack. The head literally, like if it's here on the mic, it moves backwards. We always talk about keeping our head behind the baseball. He kept his head behind the baseball as well as just about anybody I've ever seen. Barry Bonds being the other one but he was not only an all-state baseball player he was the national 
Gatorade player of the year in football, a quarterback who committed to go play for Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Then this gets better. He was an all-state baseball or basketball player. They had video of him draining threes. And they showed him as a kid. And he must have been no more than eight or nine years old. Just taking rips, running around the field. He, he looked exactly like what he was. The best athlete on the field, basically, at any given time. Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield, both narrowly missed. Wagner was trending in the right direction with over 78%. Support on the ballots revealed publicly before the announcement, but his support apparently dropped off on the ballots that weren't shared before the announcement. He ended up with 284 votes, just five. Five shy of election. He has one year left on the ballot. This is a tough one for Chef. He saw a jump of support this year, his 10th. And final year on the ballot, gaining 32 votes over his 2023 total. But the surge wasn't enough to push him over the induction threshold. Sheffield finished with 246 votes, 63.9%. So let's just gather this information for a minute. I don't think we've had a president with over 50% of the vote in how many cycles? Yet, we then put that person in office to be the leader of the free world. Yet, here we are with the National Baseball Hall of Fame, and we have dudes getting 74% of the vote. Billy Wagner. Gary Sheffield, 63% of the vote. And they can't fucking get in? Stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. Okay. The eight players eliminated from future ballots. The players needed 5% of the vote. And these are the ones that did not get it. Jose Batista. Look, fantastic fucking career. Just the fact that he got six votes. Incredible. I Look, Jose Batista was a utility player at best. In 2010, he implemented, it was the end of 2009. He implemented a leg kick, monster, just when he got to Toronto. And in the last month of the season, he hit like 10 homers. He comes back to play winter ball, where I played with him that winter. I was just trying to get some at-bats. I've been hurt. (laughs) Get my own swing back on track. And from there, he goes back to Toronto. And fucking kills it. Just completely becomes a beast. You guys all remember or should that epic bat flip moment. He got in the brawl with, what was it, Rugnet Odor? And I took the right hook. But overall, I've always loved Jose Bautista. I thought he was a great teammate. He took me under his wing in the Dominican Republic. Greatly appreciate that. And again, a awesome career for him. Victor Martinez got six votes. The former Indians catcher had himself a good career. Bartolo Colon is the one that gets me a little bit. The guy pitched for 40 fucking years in the big leagues. He literally is a walking cartoon character. People are going to point to the steroid test and all the other bullshit. Does it really matter? Bartolo Colon's a one guy. You just give him total exemption from any rules. 
It just makes everybody so happy. Just looking at him. The homer he hit in San Diego. It's just any way we can celebrate Bartolo Colon, we should be. Matt Holiday, I had a chance to play with him. Four votes. Here's a funny thing is that when Matt Holiday was healthy, he was a right-handed version of Todd Helton. Like this dude, those were the two guys. It was Helton and Holiday hitting in the middle of that lineup. What a fucking force, man. What a great guy. One of my, he's like the guy, the best friend I never hang out with and never really got to know that well, if it makes sense. He's a pickleball player. His kid, Jackson, is top prospect in baseball right now. We'll see him in the big leagues most likely next year with the Orioles. In his first full season, had a monster year. Basically played his way to the big leagues. I, I think the Orioles had potentially made a deeper run, uh, he would have had a shot. He legitimately would have had a shot to get called up, put him right in the midst of it if they needed him right then. He's that good. You watch it. He's got another kid coming up. This one looks, I don't want to say better. This one definitely has more power than Jackson does, and that's saying a lot. Jackson's a, like a normal-sized human. Six feet, six one, 185 pounds. The younger one, I like, dude, he looks like Matt, right? Six, four, fucking two something. He's going to be really, really, really good. So just, uh, it seems like a terrific father, great family, man. I really, really have enjoyed all of my time that I've spent around. I just haven't spent enough of it so hopefully matt and i could hey he hit me up i don't know maybe it was i think right when he got done playing and we we're going back and forth on a few things i mainly just cut broadcasting stuff he was picking my brain a little bit but i'm like dude like you know when it comes to matt he's so he's so genuine and he's so heartfelt that Everything he says is, uh, you, you just kind of hang on it, right? He could, and I told him, like, in the broadcasting world, like, you, you do whatever you want to do. I just continue to, continue to be honest and continue to just speak your mind like you always have. So, yeah, it'd be nice to get him on no filter at some point here in the very near future and just have a combo about, you know, number one about his kids. Jeez. I mean. It's not too often. You know, look, for all the big leaguers kids that end up going through, and there's, you know, there, there's obviously, I don't say a bunch, but there's a good handful, a couple handfuls. Uh, Griffey's being at the top of that list. And then, you know, currently right now, you think about Bo Bichette and Dante, and then you had Biggio's kid and you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I mean, they're all on the one Toronto team. It's not as easy as you think. Like, give those guys a lot of credit because literally it is really, really difficult, I think, for these kids from a very young age. They have a target on their back. And they also have to have the right mentality where it's, I'm not trying to live up to my father's expectations I'm trying to live up to my own expectations. That's the one thing that I try to hit with Biscuit all the time is, look, man, you know, whether you're not, you're, whether or not you play in the big leagues or whether or not you end up skiing in the Olympics or whatever you want to do in life, like, I want you to be your best. I don't want you to try to chase me down and be as good or better than me. Like, number one, dude, you could be way better, but that's not up to me. That's up to you. And I think one of the reasons why you see a lot of big leaders' kids successful make it is that they're not intimidated by the spotlight. So they've been in that spotlight. They've seen, I kind of feel like that's the case with a lot of kids these days anyway. They've grown up on social media. So they've, are kind of these little stars 
from the get-go. Emmanuel Beltre, by the way, I'm, I'm almost positive. I, it was Adrian Beltre's kid. He's a fucking beast. He's got his own IG account. And again, like I need confirmation on this, but I saw him sitting there yesterday. I'm like, dude, that's a kid I follow on, on IG. And he's going to be incredible as well. So the other element of that is that big leaders are the opposite of what you would consider a hardcore baseball dad would be. Now, don't get me wrong. We fluctuate the emotions of watching our, our children, you know, whether I'm watching my daughters with the horses or on the ski mountain or biscuit on the baseball field. Yeah, like we feel all the same feelings and emotions that other parents do, but I believe we know how to handle it better. And we know that, look, you getting in the way or you being on the fence trying to, you know, coach this or coach that, like typically, typically it gets in the way. Now, there are some exceptions where, and that's why we're very careful about the way we talk to kids during the game. So if there's a parent that likes to talk to their kid during the game, you want to make sure it's short, it's sweet, it's productive. Like it's not, hey, he strikes out and next thing you know, you're in his fucking ear in the dugout wearing him out. Like that's unacceptable. We've had that before, right? We've had, we've had just about everything over the years with our LTP team. But ultimately what we're trying to do is put the kids in position to succeed. And I think the parents or former big leaguers, they know how to put their kid in position to succeed. The question becomes, and it's with all of them, once they get to that 12, 13, 14, specifically, obviously, when you're in the high school, look, this shit ain't up to us. I told Biscuit this yesterday. We were going to hit baseballs down at the barn. And he said something uh, along the lines of, yeah, well, you know, we'll try to do this and do this and, and, but I got this and I'm like, bro, look, we, we were trying to figure out where to hit. We were going to go to Reno or if we were going to go to the barn. We thought the basketball team was practicing the barn. They weren't, thank goodness. Cause I didn't want to go back to Reno. I'd already had to go down there yesterday, but he was kind of giving me a little bit of a runaround about the hitting. I'm like, dude, you don't want to hit. We don't have to hit. You don't want to throw. We don't have to throw. Like, I, I'm serious. Like, this is, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And this has got to be your passion. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want to. I want to. I said, okay. I said, well, I said, well, let's go figure it out. And, you know, ideally we're going to have to figure it out, you know, in town. And, you know, part of the issue, and I have to like step back every now and again. We have, no, we don't have a ton of snow on the ground, but there's fucking three feet of snow on the ground. So we went to a field that I thought might not have a lot of snow down by the airport. And the thing was covered. So we then eventually end up going to the barn and knocking out a very productive workout. But I think there's there's timing in all of this, right? Because here he, he's on the, Ski mountain five days a week. There's two days where we could play baseball. We could hit and throw and everything else. And I think this is a time of year you don't force it. If it works, if the schedule works with the schooling and everything else, then great, we'll go do it. And if it doesn't, hey, it doesn't. And we have our first tourney in a few weeks. We'll figure it out. No, he's not going to pitch if he hasn't been throwing. That's one of the main things. But you'd be surprised because, look, everyone needs an offseason. You have to have that downtime. And I was taken aback, taken aback by the bat speed change in, like, two months. Not even. Not even two months. Let me see, December, beginning of December now, 
significantly better. Just a little bit of rest, refire, recharge. Obviously, these kids are getting bigger and stronger and everything else. And good morning to Buckwheat. Happy hump day, dude. Damn, man. It's been a minute. Good to have you on here. So that was the Hall of Fame voting. Let's hit the MLB free agent trade market. I mean, or free agent and trade market. Spring training is right around the corner. And we still have some absolute monsters on the table. And this is all making sense now because Blake Snell is the number one free agent still left on the market. And they have a projected contract right here. Five years, $135 million. Here's the issue. Yamamoto signed for 300 fucking million. So if you're Blake Snell and you're the Cy Young Award winner who's now coaching travel baseball and hit me up on Instagram. Like, I don't blame him. What the fuck? That's bullshit. Here he is at the top of his game. What, 29, 30 years old? Starting pitchers are good till they're 40. So... He's going to get out-earned by a guy who hasn't thrown a fucking pitch in the big leagues? That's terrible. I, I can see how and why he's frustrated at this point. Okay. The next one they have on the list, who was so instrumental in the Texas Rangers run last year, shutting down the Houston Astros and then killing it once again, in the World Series, Jordan Montgomery. They have him projected for 5 and 105. I mean, they look, that makes sense. He's Jordan Montgomery. The other dude's Blake Snell. Uh-uh. Uh, Blake, I, again, he needs to be getting north of 200. And I don't, I don't, I got to go back and look at the structure of the Yamamoto deal, whatever it was. But it just doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, how about Clayton Kershaw? Now, what do you do with Kershaw? They have him projected at one year, $15 million. I don't think money is a big issue with you know, Kershaw at this point. But they have him as the third highest starting pitcher, ranked highest starting pitcher on the market. They got Mike Clevenger, two years, $22 million is what they're projecting. How about Hunjin Ryu? One year, 11 million. Then Michael Lorenzen, they're saying one year, 11 million as well. The relief pitchers, uh, still on the market. Let's see here. It says none still available from the big board. Well, that's because Aroldis Chapman signed the one year deal with the Pirates. And Thrill and I talked about this last night. If you're going after a reliever uh, for one year, I take Aroldis Chapman in a hurry. Now, the Astros went all in on Hater, end up giving him a hundred million dollar contract over five years. So, would you rather have Aroldis Chapman for one in ten, or Hater for five and a hundred? If I'm running a business, I'm taking a Chapman for one in ten. I do realize the value of relievers and. They're even more valuable now than ever to figure in sturdy pitchers go four innings. But that's just a, that's a stiff price to pay. The up the middle player still available on the big board, Cody Bellinger. So right now, Bellinger is projected to make more than anyone else on the market. More than Snell. <sighs> really? Six years, $162 million. I don't know what their knock on Snell is. Uh, like, I think teams need to wake the fuck up. I, I, he's that good. 
Bellinger, you know, they had him ranked number four on the big board. I mean, that's when Otani and Yamamoto was still on there. I imagine Stell's in front of him. Tim Anderson, he'd be a good sign for anybody. One year, $14 million is his projection. And then Whit Merrifield, two years, 19. They're projecting for Merrifield. The right-handed power bat still in the market. Jorge Soler, J.D. Martinez, and Justin Turner. It says Soler is expected to sign a three-year deal. I mean, these are all just, you throw shit against the wall, right? J.D. Martinez, one for 14. Justin Turner, one for 14. A guy like J.D. or a guy like Justin Turner, if I'm a team, fuck, those guys have hit. They've always hit. They're going to hit. Give them a two-year deal. I'd be more apt to go, you know, Two for, if they're projected AAV, which is the average annual value is 14. I, you know, I go two for 28, lock them up. You, at the very least, the very, very least with either of these guys, you're going to have a great matchup bat in any time, in any situation against whether it's a left-hander or whatever. You can sit them against the tough righties. Or just righties that you have a bad matchup against. But these guys are absolute forces. Other corner position players still left on the market. Matt Chapman. I mean, again, spring training's in two weeks, dude. Three weeks. He is projected for a five-year, $95 million contract. Brandon Belt, one for 12. He deserves it. My neighbor here up in Tahoe. And then Tommy Pham. Look, Tommy Pham was the perfect fit, I think, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Last year, you had this young team that their best player, obviously, was Corbin Carroll. Sometimes you need to throw in a little veteran presence, a guy with a chip on his shoulder. And it gave that team the fuck you that it needed. There's a lot of teams that could be perceived as soft. Now, the Diamondbacks didn't play soft, but they just seemed young and inexperienced. And so when you surround that with a guy that's older and experienced and has bitch slapped Jock Peterson before and is not afraid to mix things up, yeah, that's exactly what they needed. So... That is the remaining free agent class. few other things before we get on out of here. The NBA admitted to blowing 10 calls in the final two minutes of the T-Wolves and Hornets game. Despite Carl Anthony Towns' 62 points for the T-Wolves in Monday night's Game against the Charlotte Hornets. Minnesota fell 128-125. The officiating raised eyebrows throughout the game and fans frustrated with the referees were vindicated by the release of the NBA's last two-minute report. According to the report, officials missed a shocking 10 calls in the final 120 seconds. Seven of those 10 calls that they missed would have gone against the Hornets. Bullshit, man. That's terrible. That's awful. I'm glad the NBA comes out and admits it. But clean it up. It really can't be that hard. Uh, Hornets with their 10th win of the season. And how about the fact that you had Carl Anthony Towns, 60, 62 points, right? And then Joel Embiid, I think on the same night, had fucking 70. What does the NBA come to? I was watching a little bit of a game last night and watch these guys play defense. They don't do it. They don't. Nobody. It looks like an NBA All-Star game. It's like this. Uh, there was a chance, and I forget who it was, but... It was like, bah, bah, a little pullback Jay, and whoever he was working on, defender, where normally you jump up, 
and try to block the shot. He went like this. Like, didn't even leave his feet. Barely put a hand up. I don't know if that's good or bad. I kind of like the bad boy days with the Detroit Pistons. Bill Lambeer. What an asshole, huh? I was talking to someone the other day about that, too. Like, how can you ever be a Bill Lambeer fan? He's like, dude, I was. He loved him. He was his favorite player. So what the fuck is wrong with you? He was always a Pistons fan. He goes, everyone hated him, and I loved him. So, oh, anyhow. Uh, NHL. And normally we don't talk a ton of NHL. I leave it to the Snipes and Stripes guys. But the Edmonton Oilers top the Jackets and win their 14th straight game. I bring this up because it seems like it's a rarity in the NHL. It's hard to win a fucking game. Evander Kane and Warren Fogle each scored a goal and added an assist as the Edmonton Oilers extended their franchise record winning streak to 14 games with a 4-1 victory over visiting Columbus Blue Jackets on Tuesday. The score was tied 1-1 before Kane and Connor McDavid scored goals 55 seconds apart in the third period. Dylan Holloway sealed Edmonton's latest triumph when he scored with 4-24 left in regulation. Stuart Skinner made 27 saves to earn his 11th victory, passing Grant Fuhrer for the longest goalie winning streak in franchise history. Skinner's 18-2 in his past 20. Edmonton improved at 22-3 since starting the season 5-12. The Oilers have allowed two goals or fewer in 12 consecutive games, so obviously they're getting it done on the defensive end. Dmitry Vornikov. Had the lone Blue Jackets goal in Elvis Merz-Lincolns. Stopped 20 shots. Columbus is 3-6-4 over the past 13 games. And just one win over the past six outings. So, good for the Edmonton Oilers. I want to know what the record is in the NHL. I mean, that's got to be getting close to it. I, it's just because of the ties, right? There's so many ties, or does the winning streak? I mean, basically, you have a winning streak, and you could have a lossless streak. Is that making sense? Yeah, fuck. I don't know. I gotta go. I gotta go uh, get my car back. Go play some pickle. Get this voice right, so I could do the let them play reading. With Johnny Goldstar tomorrow here, no filter network. We're gonna do it live. Then it's gonna get uploaded. It's gonna be the first ever audiobook done live with video, uploaded to Apple and everywhere else you you would normally listen to your audio books. Uh, as we like to close it out, always grab a little James Allen. As a man thinketh, just open up to a random page here, thought and purpose. Until thought is linked with purpose, there is no intelligent accomplishment. Did I read this yesterday? I think I did. It's worth it again. With the majority, the bark of thought is allowed to drift upon the ocean of life. Aimlessness is a vice. And such drifting must not continue for him who would steer clear of catastrophe and destruction. They who have no central purpose in their life fall an easy prey to petty worries, fears, and troubles and self-pitings, all of which are indications of weakness, which lead just as surely and deliberately planned sins through a different route to failure, unhappiness, and loss, for weakness cannot persist in a power-evolving universe. A man should conceive of a legitimate purpose in his heart and set out to accomplish it. He should make this purpose the centralizing point of his thoughts. It may take the form of a spiritual ideal, or it may be a worldly object. According to his nature at the time of being. But whichever it is, 
He should steadily focus his thought, focus, forces upon the object which he has set before him. He should make this purpose his supreme duty and should devote himself to its attainment, not allowing his thoughts to wander awry into ephemeral fancies, longings, and imaginings. This is the royal road to self-control and true concentration of thought. Even if he fails again and again to accomplish his purpose, as he necessarily most until weakness is overcome, the strength of character gained will be the measure of his true success. And this will form a new starting point for future power and triumph. There it is. All right. Everyone have a fantastic day. Back on the Daily Hustle. Manana. That's it. See ya!